All right, welcome back. Episode 15 of the Young Old Heads podcast. Episode 15. Wow. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards. I'm here with my good friend and recent haircut, big haircut guy, Max, aka Cards Max. Max, you're looking handsome as always. How you doing, dude? I'm doing good. It's a little bit surprising that we've been doing this for 15 straight weeks. No weeks off, right and consistent, and I'm loving every minute of it tommy and i'm loving every minute of you my great co-host dude when we're 50 years old and we listen back on these episodes i'm gonna just be so nostalgic for these times but uh yeah today i woke up and you're you were starting controversy on twitter today max do you want to you want to give everyone a little breakdown of what was going on so i don't want to say i woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning but i did wake up early i woke up at around 6 30 give or take to drive to a card show in Parsippany, New Jersey. I don't know if that's the name of the town, but uh, something like that, something phonetically like that. And I drove an hour and a half to this card show, and which is, you know, the usual, you know, kind of, I do a little bit longer drives for card shows, but um, it was a, I got there a little bit early. This show, I believe, started at nine for the first nine to 10, if you wanted to get there early. It's ten dollars at the sh- at the door, which is a little bit expensive for a show that doesn't have autograph guests. Because usually the rationale behind an entry fee is that you're paying for the autograph autographer to come, and that's baked into the cost. With ten dollars for a VIP one hour access before the show, and then general admission five dollars at the show, a little bit pricey. And I was a little bit annoyed at this promoter because I arrived at eight thirty, and person was very staunch on not letting people in. It's like, okay, I listened to Kanye in the car for half an hour and I waited till nine o'clock. It really wasn't a very enticing show. Um, I've been the consistent gone shows in, you know, North Carolina. I've sprinkled a few Florida shows in. I go to a lot of New York, New Jersey shows. I'd say New Jersey is the most Pokemon heavy, which isn't a bad thing. I love Pokemon as much as the next guy, maybe more than the next guy. But the Pokemon people usually are not competitive with comps and try to be more of a store but anyway that that's just my morning anyway i did my rounds i had one or two buys not much on my way out it was the same promoter you know i'm just i'm just because i see that this promoter has a table of their own and i'm like oh you know how much you know how much is this dominguez and she's like lasted 850 and she's kind of like paused and i'm like okay so what's your price and she's like 850 i'm like all right, thank you. Have a good day. And I'm like, I'm, I'm done with this person. I'm ready to head out. And so I took my Twitter fingers a little bit out of frustration, thinking not necessarily, look, there's nothing wrong with being or matching the last comp, but I thought just like the presumption of being, of that your price on a card is the last comp when you are in person at a, you know, at a card show, I thought that was a little bit silly. And I was using the analogy when I was, you know, using my Twitter fingers today, this morning, that card shows are in a way a flea market. There's a lot of people that have their entire business or their entire collecting experience be buy in person, flip online, because you have a lot more people online and online is inherently going to be more competitive. So I was a little bit surprising not having that on default. And look, even in person, there are cards where it's like, yeah, I will be, I'll be at last comp I'm higher than above or I will be, you know, my net after fees, and that's where it is. And I generally know which cards I have, which more room the wiggle room, which ones not to. But the theme for the entire show was that people were consistently 
their stickers were above comps. And that's where I was like, okay, if your stickers above comp, how am I going to then show you the comp and then have you beat the comp? You know, look, you know, it's something I've been saying, you know, card shows aren't Costco. You know, you don't have to price match everything. But at the same time, there's a record. Look, I bought a card that, you know, was $20 above comp today. I, I'm fine with that. It was a sick Desmond Bain auto. And that's also relative to the, to the lowest ask. But definitely was, you know, I had a lot of time driving in the car this morning. Definitely made me think more of the psychology behind a dealer and a consumer at a card show, especially someone who tries to be at both positions. Yeah, that, well, it was a very interesting situation. So if we, there's one side of the coin that says, you know, last comp is the market. There's the other side that says that you're more on where it's like you're trying to make money on something. You're not going to make money on something if you're paying at the last comp. But also the person who has the card is like, well, that's the market. I think something that I would like more uh, dialogue about in terms of like buyer seller, I feel like it's so heavy on last comp, like, is what it's sold for. I would love to see more about what's listed. I know that we see it a little bit on Twitter, like none are listed on eBay. So this should go for a premium or whatever. I think that is more, that almost makes more sense to me than the last comp thing. Um, I have an anecdote. Yeah, let's hear it. So at the National, I've been shopping this Bobby Witt Sapphire first Roman Chrome for a while. I got it in a deal, you know, two cards or whatever. And PSA 9s generally go for about 80 bucks. And lowest raw listed was about 80 as well, give or take. And when I was at the National, was at, at trade night or at one of the trade nights, there was an eBay auction that ended at 62 and then there was another eBay auction that ended at like 35 plus shipping. And there's this adorable little 10 year old boy who's like, I can match the 40, you know, the last comp did 40, I can do 40. I'm like, my little man, comps are consistently doing 70 on bins. You should be bidding up those auctions. And I go into happenstance of two nights later, my eBay listing for my Bobby Witt gets bought for $85 on eBay. So there's a moment of where, sure, you know, you do have auctions and most of the time auctions do represent the current feelings and dynamic of the market, but you also has to isolate them and recognize, is this the legitimate market value of the item or is this a fluke? And that's part of the beauty of the subjectivity and the negotiation sales aspect of selling a card. The subjectivity of auctions is so real, like auctions can are so volatile on ebay especially on ebay with like what time they end at and who's doing it and what the title is and what the picture looks like like there's so many different factors that go into an auction price versus the buy it now price i i think there needs to be way more education on that in general like yes. i don't people really don't get i think there's an acceptance of fact on the number on a sold on an ebay like this is the price this is what it's worth it's like no that's not at all like maybe 90% of the market that's interested in that car didn't even see that that auction existed. And so because of that, that person got extremely lucky. And that's dope. Like I buy a lot of PC stuff on, on auction because, you know, it usually goes for less. Like there's this one dude on eBay right now. He's actually has the most Clay Thompson cards on, on TCDB. He has like over 1200 of them. So I always kind of, I have his eBay seller search saved and he put up a ton of Clay Thompson uh, auctions, like a hundred auctions on Clay Thompson cards. So I'm like, fuck this is sick this is gonna be like my chance to get a lot of cards that i usually wouldn't be able to find but i also know that like 
a lot of these cards never even exist. So maybe people are searching for them or like have safe searches for some of these. And maybe the options might go for more than maybe it would go on a buy it now or whatever. But um, you're more into the flipping, you know, you're buying and selling more than I am. You're selling more than I am. So you deal with like the last comp idea a lot. And I don't, I'm more into like what's listed versus what the last comp, because if I can't find a card and I can't like buy it somewhere else, then, you know, the person kind of has more of a monopoly on the price. But for you, it's like this card, this auction ended at a really unfortunate time for this card for you. And like, it went way lower than it probably has a market value for. So figuring out how to negotiate around those prices and auctions is interesting. Like Max, you do put up a lot of cards for auction on eBay, right? I put up some cards sometimes. I'm trying to weigh in a little bit less from it, but if I think the auction can yield more than the best offer value, it's kind of a bet on yourself. It's like, okay, I got this for whatever last comp. I think the market's actually higher than the last comp is. Sure, I'll auction it. Um, I think it's more of a dichotomy between higher end, or not even higher end, but more flipper-centric cards over cards that are more for collecting. And I definitely dabble in both. Do not shortchange me. Um, my... One of my cards that I talked about a lot during episodes one through five was my Jordan Nawara Horizontal National Treasures RPA, which I had a Gixson Snipes loaded up at 1 a.m. New Year's Eve, and the auction was based out of Australia. I won it, and a few times when I tried shopping the card, people did not care about the context of the auction. They just cared about the number that it ended at, even though it was a very obscure listing time location there are definitely some logistical instances like that but on the other hand you know a very you know just an example you know i had a manny machado 2016 tops gold out of 2016 just a flagship gold parallel and i think last comps were like five bucks and i threw mine there were none on ebay i threw mine up for 9.99 and it took a week or two but it got binned you know that's where that's going into someone's binder or someone who likes Machado and wants a full flagship gold run or whatever it may be. The last comp doesn't matter because not only are there none listed or, or maybe there's one at like 30 bucks, which no one would have paid, but you know, pay, sure you paid double last comp. You paid, you know, $10 instead of five, but that doesn't, isn't relevant in a card of that context. For sure. Also shout out Australia. I met a few guys in Atlantic city who made the trip from Australia to Atlantic city, which I think is a hilarious journey to go on from Australia to like the dumpster of America. So shout out Australia, but yeah, the, uh, that's, that's a card too. Like the noir card, like it's just unfortunate that like people, well, you, you see the upside, but other people just see the numbers and that's not really a card. People are necessarily PCing. It's probably more of an investment card. So that last comp matters a lot more. Um, do you have any other thoughts on like what your strategies are with auctions? What cards have you had luck with on auctions in general um, and, and vice versa? Like ones that you've taken L's on, on auctions. I know that Kalenic maybe. Um, although it was shilled um, at the time, obviously not by me. Um, I, my CJ Abrams blue first Roman blue auto was ended at a whole $2,000. Then right before he was called up in April in mid-April. Obviously that wasn't paid and but that you know when a prospect is being called up or similarly traded like in Juan Soto, McKenzie or CJ Abrams, Robert Hassel, auctioning is a good time in order to capture the news. But if I'm auctioning my Kesson Hira SSP rookie card auto when there's maybe five whole people that collect him, an auction would not be wise and I'd want to hold out for that person who wants it for their collection 
paying what I think is the market value. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's a that's a good synopsis on your strategy with auctions versus buy it nows and stuff. I think that's something we can definitely dive into more in the future at some point because as the marketplaces become more decentralized, I think, with the different players that are into it, especially like these live auction sites where who knows really what these cards are going for in these random one-off live auctions and my slabs and whatever. And I know you have a lot of thoughts on Golden, which I don't know if we've really even talked about. You want to you wanna say something real quick about what you, your feelings on Golden and why sometimes cards end a lot lower on Golden than other places? I am a lover of everyone and every auction. Yeah, we're not, we're not I hating will... on Golden. I'm yeah. just saying there, certain cards do sell for less on Golden than maybe they would on I'm, eBay. I'm looking, and that's it's all, real. It's all... It's all context. You know, one of my, when I am looking at auctions, you know, give bringing these back to eBay, I will look at things that are poorly titled or poor photography. I have no ill will or comment or any malice to DC Sports 87, but they cannot take a photo to save their life. And I will always, in my opinion, get items for below, below what I think is their market value because their backdrop is just columns of plastic slabs that the card is leaning on. And it doesn't really capture the beauty or the aesthetic of the card. Similarly, when looking at PWCC or Alt, Alt is known to kind of have their auctions end low to their market value. That's a general opinion. PWCC to an extent too, because you have a lot of people that are flipping or whatever. But if you do on the converse, for PWCC's weekly auctions, if you have a isolated, interesting card that doesn't come to market often, I see this a lot with some of Mike Trout's SSPs, that gets a whole seven days of eyes on it from a very large base. So that's a kid situation where, where it does take advantage. Um, Golden, specifically, since we mentioned them, they are a more high-end auction site. And when you have lower four-figure cards on that platform and they are 2,000th or 2,500th in priority, they are susceptible to ending low. I know what I feel like what you're suggesting. One of the cards I picked up at the National, which I am so excited, which I'm very happy to own, is Bryce Harper's super or short print autograph from 2012 Tops Series 2. There's about 30 or 40 graded in the entire PSA population, which is about the 10th of the not-auto version. And when I was price comping this in order to get it, I thought I got it at a very good price since I knew what the non-autos went for. I saw there was a single BGS 9 comp that sold for, I believe, 1100 And I'm like, wow, this, this ended, this is a really interesting sale, huh? I looked at Alt's sales tool and it showed a listing from Golden six weeks earlier of a BGS 9 that ended at, I believe, $240, which for one of the most steal of a lifetime, and the same certain number, it was the exact same card. The guy flipped it for $800 profit at five X in six weeks, just to show just how jarring and different the golden's ability to realize the price was relative to just having it on an eBay best offer. And we, we can argue iconic, most meaningful, whatever, but that is what Bryce Harper is one of the most hyped prospects in 2012. That was a very sought after and chased card. You rarely even see the non-auto surface. So, so for the auto to surface and then do that poorly at auction. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, given that it was flipped in six weeks for a thousand dollars, it is definitely a thousand dollar card at minimum. And for it to end at a higher end auction house for $240 
also with no lot description of the actual item, which I think is very funny. It was like lot number 2,540 or something like that. But there is definitely opportunities if you have the coin to look at, you know, golden or alt, and then I guess PWCC. And then if you like me, if you're like me, DC Sports 87, because I think that they have a lot of bargains to take, go with your gut on cards that you think are undervalued and don't be afraid to throw a bid because worse that happens is it doesn't go through and you are outbid. But if you don't throw, throw a bid at a price that you would kick yourself if you didn't win at that price and it goes for under. This is really good information here, Max, because there's so there's a lot of different marketplaces now, a lot of different auction houses and understanding like where certain auction houses fall short on what cards they're selling, like golden cards that go the cards that are under a thousand or like at fifteen hundred and below. Those cards aren't really being bought by the people that are on golden the most. And for me personally, like I never even have thought of going on golden and checking out their auctions because I just assume they're too rich for me. But in reality, a lot of these cards that are in that like 1500 and lower range can be found there and they can be found for freaking good prices because for there's very like, good value. Yeah, very, very fucking good value. And there's other auction houses where like a $500 card gets a lot of good eyes, like the Trout SSP example from like PWCC. Like if you put a card like that on PWCC, that's people, people who are looking to buy cards in that range are looking at PWCC auctions. So they see a card like that. They're like, oh shit, I'm going to bid this up. Or like, I want to get this card. I'm going to bid out it. These people are probably not really looking at Golden that much. And um, like a colleague I work with, Matt, he does that a lot. He's on PWCC a lot, but I don't really see him on Golden. And it's like, all right, yeah, because Golden's advertising that they just sold a card for whatever, $7.2 million. Like, all right, well, I have 0.001% of that money. I'm not going to be able to buy one of that one of those cards. But like that Harper... Fuck, I would have bought that for 250 bucks. That would have been sick. And that's a sick card. And I'm hyped that you got it, you know, at a good price. But the the sales history on that makes it really hard for you to move that potentially because you're like, oh, well, look at this comp. It's so low. But it's like taking into account all these different factors into a price is always something that we talk about. And that's, I think, a good, good takeaway from this discussion on marketplaces is like understanding the price is one thing. Understanding the other factors that impact that price is a whole another thing that is a little dance that I feel like everyone's constantly playing in the hobby, especially as like buying and selling. Absolutely. And in the more flipper environment, if an au- if for alt auctions, some people will just tell you to kick rocks. I know I kind of will, if it's for a more lower end item, because both the buyer and seller both re- recognize that the alt auction ending is not indicative of the true value. And I would say the same thing similarly in regards to, DC Sports 87, or a, or if you showed me a poorly listed eBay item and you're pointing to that and saying that's market value, some cases I'll disagree, but other times it's like, okay, yeah, that's a legitimate auction and I'll factor that into this negotiation. This is a great conversation, Max. This wasn't even what we were supposed to talk about today at all, but this is why I love talking to you about this because we end up talking about stuff that I feel like is important to discuss because I per- like, I've literally never bought a card on PWCC all golden i mean i've never bought a card on anything but ebay online or twitter or it's i actually haven't bought a card on instagram either so literally all my buying has either been at shows ebay or on twitter so hearing your perspective of selling cards and like taking into account values and stuff is interesting and it's something that like athletics we're talking about when we talk about like giving our prices for stuff it's like how do we factor in all these crazy outliers that are constantly happening in the market and making a understandable price range for someone to you know 
and sometimes a range is just the move. Like if you go to a guy and you're like, you know, this can sell from anywhere from $250 on gold into $1,200 on PWCC. It's like, it gives you a lot of room to, to, to operate. And do you want to tell people like, how did you, how did that conversation go when you were negotiating with, for the Harper? I knew that it, well, it was stickered at a thousand and it was very simply, do you have much room on it? And he's like, yeah, not really. And like, I'm like, I'll do eight. On, I mean, I don't even, I think I might've checked comps just as like a safety. And I saw that BGS nine that did 1100. The guy said he just took it out. I mean, obviously not, you know, took it out of storage, but took it and put it on the showcase. Cause I didn't notice it the first time I walked around and I think he just threw the thousand dollar sticker on it. And I'm like, I'll do 800. And he's like, can go, you know, can do 900. Like I'll do 800. Like I'm at 850. And I'm like, appreciate it. I'll do it at 800. I'm like I'm sticking at 850. And then I folded like a lawn chair and came back and paid him 850 because I knew I did was not going to let that one go. Yeah. That's a, that's a funny uh, negotiating thing there. Cause that's kind of how I operate too, especially on cards where I'm like, dude, I don't know how many other people are going to buy this card from you at the show right now. I'm going to stick at my price, but then I'll walk around for a little bit and I'll be like, shit, man, maybe that is the best card I can buy right now at that price. And that's totally fine though. It's like find a walk away from a deal and come back to it because sometimes maybe you would have ran into another card that was at even a better deal for 800 bucks. And you would have been like, Oh, good thing. I didn't buy that Harper for 800. I can buy this $2,000 card for $800 from this guy right now. So walking away from a deal at a show and coming back to it, I think is sometimes a strategy that can work out for people. Have you, is that something that like you experience sometimes too? Other usually, um, usually when I ask about a card the first time, I, I don't like checking comps directly in front of someone because I feel like part of it is a little bit obnoxious and that I'm going to be right there to lowball them where it hurts or at the very least I'm taking up table space from other people that are viewing the cards. So I'll usually just say thank you. I'll walk around a little bit. And of course, you know, if it's later in the show, like, oh, you still have this card? I'm still a buyer for it. You just got to come down to my price. And sometimes that works, especially if a seller is motivated to move. And it's fun. I think it's one of the most fun parts of the buying and selling is getting the moral victories, but not being too tunnel visioned and letting good value or a good deal pass. Yeah. You're good at advising me on buying and selling. You're like, dude, think about what you'd feel like if you didn't walk out of the show with this card or like what thing about like, if you let this auction go, like who knows when you're going to see another one that all factors in. I get, but I do want to talk about a couple cards you bought. Cause we didn't get to talk about them last week. You bought them up natural for your PC. And I always love when Max buys big money cards for his PC. So can you tell us a little bit about those cards and what uh, your, like how you found them, what you're, what you're feeling about them, if you're going to hold them or if you're going to try to like flip them to another Yankees fan. Uh, Big money and PC cards have usually been, traditionally have been an oxymoron for me. I bought two big Glaber Torres cards at the National. Glaber Torres is my main PC, and he, for the longest time, hasn't been expanded. Um, I guess if we're going back to my roots, I started collecting, or I re-entered collecting in 2019, give or take. And I went... I saw that there's an identity behind everyone who has their PC and their main player who collect, who they collect. I'm like, okay, I'm a Yankees fan. It's going to be a Yankee. And then I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to start this huge collection and have the person leave after. So I'm sticking it to Yankees players who have spent their entire career with the team. And 
at that time, that left like four players that left. Brett Gardner, Luis Severino, um, actually no five, Masahiro Tanaka, Aaron Judge, and Gleyber Torres. Um, Tanaka stuff, older and in the hands of a lot of Japanese collectors. So that was an immediate pass. Most Brett Gardner rookies were like 2008, give or take, maybe 2006, something like that. You're never going to find a school card surface that he got checked off. Severino was in contention, but he was coming off a lot of injured time. And also, although I didn't realize that at the time, buying a pitcher is dangerous. So I, I dabbled with Severino a little bit. Don't get me wrong, but not to the extent. Of, um, dabbled in Severino? Excuse me? You're excused. I have done quite the dabbling in Luis Severino. And then that left it with two real players. And of course, you don't think about cost and money when you're going into a big player collection, but you ideally want it to go up and appreciate over time. That was Aaron Judge and Gleyber Torres. Aaron Judge was considerably more expensive, so I opted for Gleyber Torres. And in 2019, in part during the pandemic, I had the nice little college kid job of working as an Uber Eats delivery driver. I'd make make some coin, and then I'd buy a $20 Gleyber slab. I'd make some more coin, and I'd add some more to my binder. So the bulk of my Glaber Torres collection is low-end PSA 10 slabs, which I think is very fun. But getting to the heart of what I bought at the National, I bought two big Glaber Torres cards. I bought a PSA 10 2018 Topps Heritage High Number Real, Real One Red Ink Autograph. I got that for what I thought was a good value. It was a little funny because Glaber Torres has obviously gone down a lot over time. The sticker was 500. I bought it for 400. That was quite literally 60% of the last comp. That was in June. And I was ready to let it walk for 400 because it was going to be a personal purchase. But he accepted it and I was happy. I took it out of the team bag eventually. I saw on the back, it was written in Sharpie $1,999 which is just a testament to just how much Glaber Torres' prices have <laughs> dropped over time. And yep. it, contextually, it seems like he was happy to just find a buyer for the card because I bought that day one. The second, you know, so Heritage Real One Red Ink Autos are the creme de la creme of rookie autos and directly rival Topps Chrome autographs. And with only I, two, I two variations. Argue, I would arguably, I would argue that the, the Real One hand-numbered auto Personally, is my favorite auto- rookie autograph card. And these are hard to 10. Yeah. The Heritage 10s, obviously, we talked about condition sensitivity, I think, last or a couple weeks ago with Logan. But, like, the Heritage real one 10s, that means that dude handled the card. He handled it in his own hands. He signed it. He hand-numbered it. And then it still got a 10. So, shout-out Glaber Torres for handling his cards well when he autographs. Shout-out Glaber Torres. Shout-out Glaber Torres. Shout-out Luis Severino. But you also bought another dank as hell Glaber at the Nationals too, right? I bought a second Glaber Torres. It was at trade night. I was with at Saratoga Slavs and at Logan's League. You know, one of which was her was on the show two weeks ago, and they were showing me this guy who had a lot of Topps Dynasty autos, and they're like, "Oh, they have a Glaber," and I'm like, "Okay." My attention is captured. 
It was a 2018 Topps Dynasty Glaber Torres Auto Cyan out of five. Rookie card logo in the back. The patch was from the All-Star Futures game in 2017 because it's a 2018 card. And I price checked it a little bit. I saw that an out of 10 did 450. And I was very staunch in getting it for $300. And I made sure to make him know that that was the most that I'm going to do. I was not going to take 400. I was not going to take 350. And I got it at the price I wanted. Um, I may sub it to Beckett just to see if it can get a 9.5. I don't think it's going to get a PSA 10, but it's relatively on the stronger side from a condition standpoint. And I don't know, these are two cards that I know it's a tirade that everyone has said a lot, but they're cards that I did not think that I would be able to get when I started this little collection and side piece. So to have them be, I would move them for, my status with them is I would move them for the right price. And I have the red ink listed on eBay and I may cross list the Dynasty Auto 2 when the time comes. But because... You know, if you ca- are able to capture something at its peak, that means you can just use more money to buy another personal purchase or to build the war chest or whatever it may be. So, but in the meantime, I'm in no rush to move them. And if they, I do move them, they'll be at the biggest possible margin they can be. Yeah. And I'm hyped. I was hyped up every time you came by the Ledex table and we're like, Tommy, I bought another Glaber. I bought a Glaber. I bought a big Glaber. I was like, show me, show me, show me, show me. <laughs> So when I saw you buying those two big cards, I was very hyped. Um, but yeah, the strategy of like listing PC stuff really high on eBay and kind of being like, you know, that's my price. If you want to buy it for me at this price, I'll use that money to either buy another card to make money on or I'll buy another Glaber card for even less and make money on that. So those fired me up. That actually reminds me of like when we had Ryan Playboy cards on way back in the day. He was talking about his Jeremy Lin PC because I feel like your Glaber PC is pretty similar in scope to his i mean he has a really dank jeremy Lin pc but like in terms of like you guys flip cards and nothing you really own is necessarily quote unquote like untouchable or whatever but you'd still do like you 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 know you reinvest in your pc and he does it too with his jeremy Lin like patch autos and cool stuff that he has so saying that you upgraded the glaber pc and put in some real crown jewels because i know you have those really nice psa 10s but they're not exactly you know Super clout cards. They are niche brands. They are Topps Advent. They are Montgomery Ring Set 1952. They are obscure ones. Um, funny enough, I was looking at volleys to the trade nights were held during the national, and I saw a second year 2013, or is that third year? Or 2013 Gold Prism Jeremy Lin. The guy's asking price was steep, but I saw it and I immediately went over to Brian Playboy and I'm like, hey, there's this card here, like, go look at go go look at it. <laughs> go go look at it. And I told him what the ask was. Like, yeah, that's a really steep ask, but like, I do appreciate the thoughts. And I'm like, hey, I'm 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 watching out for you. You yeah. are the Jeremy Lin guy. Yeah, I I love Ryan. Shout out Ryan. Um, one of the best guys in the hobby. So make sure to give him a follow if you don't already. But I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast probably does. But at Playboy Cards, he uh, yeah. I'm glad that you guys were hanging out a lot at the national because I feel like you guys play pretty similar games and uh, in terms of buying and selling and stuff. Um, so shout out to Jeremy Lin PC, shout out to Glaber Torres PC, shout out Luis Severino. Um, I am always hyped whenever Max makes a PC purchase because he always, he is buying so much buying and selling back and forth and, you know, time, time the market. So seeing a, seeing a good deal on a PC card always gets me fired up for you, Max. Where do you have those displayed? Do you have those up in your room right now? 
right now my display situation is in flux, but right now on my desk, I have my Glaber Torres Heritage Red Ink and my Mike Trout US 175 PSA 8 Gold out of 2011. I saw a surprising amount of these up for sale at the National. There were like five of these that I saw, and it was not a card that I otherwise thought to see many of. People are scared of Trout right now. It's honestly, it's making me think I might need to buy a gold cup or two, a nice one. I want, I really want a gold 2013 Mike Trout tops number one in the set. So if I can find one of those in the next, you know, few, few weeks, I'm going to try to snatch one up. But is there a specific variant? No, I'm saying gold. I want the gold out of 2013. Oh, the gold out of 2013. That's so, that. That's what I want for. I don't think we've Trout. ever dissected in depth your gold cup PC. Like, not, explain not me. A ton. Explain the rationale and the intent behind it. All right. So when I started getting back into card, well, growing up, I thought the gold cups were just cool. I just was like, this is kind of a cool addition to the card. Like, what's up with this? My dad also thought it was cool. I had a few vintage cards from my dad's growing up days, and one of them was a Bobby Bonds, I think, 1969 card, which had like the old school gold cup. And I was like, oh, shit. So these have been around for a while. And I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. Like, rookie cards logos are kind of changing every once in a while so it was seeing like a consistent tops thing over time and i had a lot of them because i opened up a lot of flagship growing up a lot of opening day so i was like when i started getting back into collecting i was like oh cool like i have a lot of these they're all scattered got all my cards sorted by team so i was like oh i have all these cards that have this gold cup on them maybe i'll just throw them all in the same binder and that'll be kind of a cool thing to flip through so i started i did that and i was like Oh, I unofficially PC gold cups. Um, I started trading for some of them every once in a while. I picked up some nice vintage ones like a Joe Morgan. Um, I don't know. I have a bunch of random vintage ones. I think I have Andre Dawson, some of that stuff. And so I was like, oh, this is a cool binder. I started like kind of, I kind of started like posted a video of it one day and people like really thought it was cool. So I was like, all right, maybe this is going to be more of a thing. I also had a lot of rookie cards though. So I was like, well, I also want flagship rookies and like whatever that's, what everyone seems to want so rookie cards should be what i spend my money on i bought a lot of those like kind of flagship rookies of guys i also had a lot of them pulled from growing up but then you know it's really started once we kind of started talking like early this year like january i was like all right this binder is pretty sweet but and i have a lot of these rookie cards but i honestly really need to focus just on the gold cups i think i can get really good deals i bought a couple i bought an emerald shimmer trout 2013 gold cup for like 30 bucks on ebay and i was like holy shit like, if I can get these parallels, these really cool parallels of cards, you know, that I really like, I should just do that. Like, I need, I was in a consolidation mood. I was like, dang, I'm collecting too much stuff. I need to, like, consolidate a little bit. So I kind of switched my entire philosophy on baseball collecting to just gold cups. Unless a guy doesn't have a gold cup and I really like him. Like, I have a Kershaw rookie update 08 and he doesn't have a gold cup in 09. So it's like, all right, I'm not going to sell that because Kershaw is an all-time legend and even as a Giants fan, I appreciate him as like an important player in baseball history. So I'm going to keep that one. But like if I theoretically, like I have a Tatis rookie, like flagship, I sold like my Soto flagship rookie because I was like, I just want to buy, I'd rather spend that money on a gold cup parallel or variation of some sort. So that kind of started my journey on really trying to buy nice ones and something that I prioritize is like gold parallels. So I bought like a Joe Maurer gold parallel um andrew mccutcheon gold parallel gold cup like all these guys that i love growing up i'm just like i'm gonna buy their gold cup parallels because that's what i love i have a don Willis gold refractor 2004 which is a fire card and 
yeah, that's kind of my philosophy on it is like, if I can buy a cool flagship parallel or a cool gold cup parallel of a guy that I really love, that's what I want to buy. That's like my number one thing that I'd want to own. Like with my Posey collection, I have a lot of nice Posey rookie cards, but I have been open that I would trade those for a Hope Diamond Gold Cup Posey because I have like 10 variations of the Posey Gold Cup and I did Hope Diamond is like the holy grail of those. So if I could ever, I would trade my rookie card Posies for the flagship, for the uh, Hope Diamond Gold Cup. And that's just in terms of my hierarchy of PCs, the Gold Cups is kind of number one for uh, baseball. Uh, that's my philosophy. I don't even really remember what we started talking about here, but oh, that Trout. Is- the trout gold uh yeah so the gold parallel flagship gold cup is kind of what i consider the cream creme de la creme of the gold cup because the gold parallel with the gold cup is just it's just it's too much it's too sick because going back to what i was originally thinking is that gold cups were first kind of more heavily collected because in the 60s and 70s or i don't know if they started in the 60s but definitely 70s. they started 1960 they started 1960 they skipped some years in the 70s now they skipped some years in the 70s okay that's good information or 80s that, 80. they skipped some years in the 80s Sorry. most of the time you'll have the rookie stars cards or the team's rookies you know i know nolan or ryan's future feature star, future stars future, too future stars too nolan ryan's um rookie card shares a you know is shared with what gary kuzman or whatever yep. the guy's name is. And at least for me, given that I'm from New York, one of my dad's favorite players was Thurman Munson. I know that in 1970, Thurman Munson shares a rookie card, but the 1971 rookie, and of course the bigger thing is the second year card is the first time the player has a card of just himself. And, is and not it's, shared it's the same thing other. for uh, like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson too, because they share their rookie cards. So it's a similar thing in basketball for that, yeah. for those guys. Is that only in that isolated year, or do rookies usually start cards? No, that's just the isolated year. That okay, entire no. set of tops is actually all multiplayer yeah. cards. But yeah, that makes sense. Up. But I mean, I know for for several years they have the rookies share, have two players share the card or more, and then the second year card, with sometimes accompanied with the gold cup, is the player's first full card of just him, and is sometimes accompanied with the gold cup trophy. One of the coolest homages that I think Tops has ever done is that 2020 Tops Heritage is of the Mimics, the 1971 design, and Gary Sanchez's card mimics the slide that Thurman Munson has in his 1971 card, his rookie yeah. cup card. The 71 Thurman Munson is an iconic old cup card that I actually still don't have, so I don't stuff- I need to buy one of those because I mean, that's the thing right now is like, I'm not buying a ton of cards like that because I know I'll be able to find those in the future. And I don't think that that card is necessarily going to like go crazy and whatever, but I'll, I'll pick one up eventually for the binder because it is such an iconic card. But yeah, that we, I want to, I'm not going to get into this right now, but I know you've been getting into dual autos and like dual player cards. So we're going to talk about that next week, I think. Um, But yeah, I, I love the history of gold cups. I love getting, I love getting the parallels that like represent a year of flagship that like we talked about in our iconic parallel episode where we talked about like one-offs parallels that we really love. I love doing getting those for like gold cup guys from those years. So, like 2011, I have a full binder page of uh, diamond anniversary gold cups from that year, because that's like one of my favorite parallels. And I know that like flipping through that binder, that's just a piece of history of, of tops that I love. And I want to have that represented in my binder. So like I would love to add some like other 
cool parallels throughout the years, but in general, I, I prioritize the gold parallels above everything, mainly because those go back the farthest. Uh, I have a few black parallel ones. Like I would love to pick up some more of those because I think, you know, we talked about the continuity with that. I love, but Max, this has been one of our, my favorite episodes ever. I'm going to cut us off over hot. Um, do you have anything else? Anything other you want to talk about what you bought today or anything real quick, just real quick uh, last parting words of wisdom here for the, for the listeners. My parting words of wisdom to you as well, Tommy, since you're prioritizing parallel gold cups is to find where you can maximize the value in the equilibrium because gold cups for modern players aren't too sought after. And if it's between 10 bucks for a mother's day or father's day or black and three bucks for a gold, I think you stretch it a lot more going after the rare card. Yeah, for sure. I shout out to, I mean, we talked about Alex. Yeah, I know. But he has that Tatis gold or the black parallel Tatis gold cup. And I just really want that card because it's so fucking sick. But I'm going to hang off because I do have like five. Okay. I have five, like so many variations of the Tatis gold cup. Thoughts on image variation gold cups? Um, I love them. I hate, hate, hate with all the hate and all my heart and all my body when they leave the gold cup off the variation. They sometimes do that for super short prints. But you saw, I bought that like uh, the Shohei Ichiro Topps Chrome variation gold cup. That was one of my favorite pickups in the national because I love Shohei. I love Ichiro. I have the gold parallel Ichiro from O2. That's like one of my favorite, one of the crown jewels in my gold cup PC and being able to pick up the Shohei one, I was super hyped about. I have the, I have a bunch of the horizontal 2020 ones with like Tatis, Pete Alonzo and Eloy, I think are the three ones I have. Those ones I really love. Um, I would love to pick up more Soto. I think he has one gold cup variation that I really want. I forget what it looks like though right now. Is it the shit? Is it the sliding one? Like sliding on the like I, on, on the on the tarp, like the water one? Like is I that know, a Ricky card? I know Soto has the sunglasses with the cup. Yeah, that's what I I want a Soto variation cup. I I, you know, I love photo variations. Like I have yeah. almost a complete run of Giants ones, like throughout and the I, whole years. So I will once I, again, I will once again say, don't forget Opening Day. Um, two of my favorite cards in my obscure, more juvenile Glaber Tours collection are PSA tens of the 2019 Image Variation, which is in a warm-up jersey and has the gold cup, and the 2019 Opening Day short print, which is him cheering and, and clapping in the dugout and high-fiving with the gold cup. I do not have any opening day uh, photo variation gold cups, but that's something I'm definitely looking to pick up. Shout out Glaber Torres for also having a gold cup. I do have his gold parallel 2019 tops card in my binder. So shout out Glaber Torres again. But uh, we're going to end on the hot note there. Uh, and we, I recently made a Instagram page for the podcast. So our, well, me and Max will both be posting on there a little bit. We'll be posting clips from the show and maybe some other like relevant pictures and cards that we talk about on the podcast will be posting there so follow at young old heads podcast on instagram to keep in the loop and we'll be doing other stuff with that account just to keep the content going uh also make sure to subscribe to our youtube because our youtube is also another place that we will be sharing some more like pc videos and stuff and looping in content that is relevant to the podcast but we also ordered stickers so if you are a listener of the podcast and you would like me to send you a sticker please let me know. Uh, you can hit us up either on our Instagram for the podcast or hit me up or me and Max up on our own private or our own personal card accounts at TV sports cards on Twitter at TV sports cards on Instagram. Max is at cards, Max on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we're really excited about them. You know, we've been doing this for 15, 
16, 16 episodes, technically counting the last episode. But, you know, we're really trying to, the audio quality was good today. We're going to get microphones that are going to make it even better. Um, we're going to make some, I think hats are going to be my first apparel design that we're going to do. And so I found someone where we can make those pretty easily. So the brand is strong. I love our logo. Shout out Charles. We're going to make sure we do some more stuff with that because it is a very cool looking logo. Um, I don't know, Max, this was just a fun conversation. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad every week when we talk and I'm glad that we are grinding and I really appreciate everyone who's been listening to the podcast. You have any, anything else you want to say? 15 weeks will soon be 15 years, 15 years. And next year we will be on one of those stages that no one watches at the national (laughs) and yeah, big things are coming. Big things are happening. Big things have happened. And yeah, shout out to you, Max. Thanks for grinding along with me on this journey. You're welcome. Peace out.